love it, babe, love it, baby, love it, babe. Love it, babe, love it, babe. Baby, you don't know what you do to me. Between me and you, I feel a chemistry. I won't let no one come and take your place. Cause the love you give, it can't be replaced. So no one else love me like you do. That's why I don't mind to spend my life with you. I wanna please you in any way I can. I want you in my world. Don't you understand? Sing it, lawyer. Keisha, come on, Keisha. Hey, your love is a one in a million. It goes on and on and on. <laughs> you give me a really good feeling. All, All day, day long. long. Your love is a one in a million. Is a one in a million. It goes on. Okay, that's on it. And on. Okay, yeah, girl. So why did I? Okay, so <laughs> y'all are here. Y'all know this is the down low with Miss Devereaux, <laughs> featuring my one of my longtime friends, one of my best friends, Lawyer Keisha, aka Lawyer Fish. She's on today to share her perspective. Yes. <laughs> Lawyer Keisha, now you are barred in two states, right? Not just one, but two states. Is that is that correct? I am barred in two states, but then also with the United States Supreme Court. Oh, yes. yes. I'm okay. Barred in Michigan and Illinois. Yes. <laughs> and with the U.S. Supreme Court. And where you, you were sworn in for the yes. U.S. Supreme Court, too. Dang, girl. Okay. Yes. yes. Okay. That's like real tea. And you passed two bar exams, right? Like you're sworn in two states because you actually passed two bar exams on the first try yes. both times. Okay. So this yes. is qualified. And I fish. try my best not. <laughs> it is. I try my best not to like over brag however um as you know i also tutor bar examinees so i'm very proud of you know the hard work that i put in to um establish myself as a as a lawyer yes so this is lawyer fish that we always you know talk about she writes in with questions she's an avid fan of the show and listener of the show <laughs> she's that girl and um and finally she's on with us for a download with Ms. Deva Rowe, where we're going to talk about some really important topics thank today. you for having me yes Thank you for being here, sis. Okay. Yeah. One of the reasons yeah. I started with that Aaliyah song is you and I became friends in the summer of 2001, and we became friends maybe a month or so before Aaliyah died. And yes, it was the honestly, the tra it's yeah. literally to this day, probably the most tragic celebrity death in my lifetime for me personally. I was actually hyperventilating when I, I found out the news. And you were doing the same because we called each other same. maybe right like right right when we yes. found out it happened and we were both like hyperventilating and crying on the phone yeah and it's just weird because you know even since like i know you actually cried too when michael jackson died i remember we were on the phone and then we were together when we found out whitney houston died we were at the california pizza kitchen you know watching yes, that's cnn right. california yes. pizza, pizza kitchen <laughs> and then on the big um, screen at the bank across from cpk <laughs> yes yes and then prince died and then so it was just like but all of these tragic deaths kind of like this, even though the people that have died aren't necessarily famous, they're like hitting me the same way, right? Um, so, right. you know, I don't know why they're just, it's hitting me the same way. It's almost like like Aaliyah dying all over again. And I just feel like um, with Dante Wright, with now Adam Toledo in Chicago, and then of course with George Floyd, who mm. was murdered on mm. my birthday last year in 2020. Mm. So that was like, especially traumatic right um I just wanted to get a few right. questions out there because you and I were, were having a conversation you know a few days ago before charges were announced again against uh 
I right. think her name is Kim Potter, right. the, the police officer who yes. shot and killed Dante Wright. Former, and, former police officer. Thank you for correcting the record. Thank you. And so you and I were discussing this. We were on the phone. I was, you know, I was, I was walking with my little AirPods from CVS um, and we were talking about, <laughs> and I was like, girl, how are they going to get a conviction against her? Because I was saying how yeah. I thought the, Ch the Derek Chauvin case was kind of more of a open and shut case and how with this Kim Potter case, it was going to be a much tougher case because maybe because of the accidental element or the at least the the claimed accidental element um, with it and the fact that maybe he was fleeing it was going to be harder for them to get a conviction the prosecutors there in Minnesota um, in Brooklyn Center Minnesota and that in Hennepin County and you were saying you agreed with me in that at the time you thought that they should go a civil route first for right. a specific reason right. now right. you said that initially do you still have hold those same opinions and why? Yeah, so there's a lot to unpack with this. Um, so let me, I'll lay a little bit of foundation for the congregation. And by the way, I have nicknamed y'all's followers and listeners the congregation. So oh, I yes, okay with the yes. Queens. With the same queens. Yeah, because that's um, what we are, girl. <laughs> that's what we are. Amen. Um, amen. So anyway, amen. Okay, yes. we are safe girls. So there are two things um, that I, I just want to harp on lay a foundation for one there's two uh systems of justice right and, and i'm sure many of us are very familiar with them they're civil and criminal right and you know civil cases these type of cases address disputes or wrongs if you will between individuals and the justice or the outcome is money damages okay that's right. the rule right Every and we've seen and this then, with like brianna case, with brianna taylor even though there wasn't a criminal case and a criminal yes. conviction yeah you know, brianna exactly. taylor's family did exactly. win a large civil lawsuit and even george floyd's family has exactly. already had a set settlement with uh in minneapolis yes, exactly right? exactly okay. and, and 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 that's that's absolutely right and that to me is what I think the family should do first and foremost because on the opposite side of that uh, are criminal cases, right? And again, as we all know, these are generally offenses against the state or the state laws. And the outcome or the justice is jail time or sanctions, right? And it's important to know that the difference between the two, the, one of the differences, right, is the burden of proof needed to get justice, Right. Okay. Right. And so in a civil trial, all it takes is the preponderance of evidence, meaning you just need to have your facts and your evidence more, you know, together and, and more um, than the other side, right? right? Whereas criminal is you have to be on, or prove your case beyond a reasonable doubt. Right. right? And so a lot and of one, times, and one juror can hang the whole jury, right? In a criminal case, one juror. In exactly, a case. exactly. 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 Okay. Yes. Whereas in civil cases, we're talking about money damages. A lot of times, um, depending on the case, again, we can allocate fault, we can slice and dice it, slice and dice the money damages. Um, and there's a lot more wiggle room, if you will, to allocate fault, to allocate justice, if you will, around the table to all of the actors involved in that civil trial. And another thing to note, and I, and I will just give a disclaimer, if there are any lawyers in the congregation, please don't bite my head off for making this generalization. But Generally speaking, a good lawyer in a criminal trial will try their best to get evidence that was established in the civil trial brought in, okay? okay. Whether it makes it in or not, that's to be left, you know, to the facts. But in the Kim Potter case, if you will, one of the things I said to you, I said, you know, I don't know if we've got the appropriate facts 
to fit into the the Minnesota statute for manslaughter, right? Right. However, in thinking a little bit more about it, if I were, because whenever I, you know, whenever these things happen, and I'm really sad to say and see that, you know, these are happening all the time, right, in America now. What I realized and taking a step back is um, in looking at it from both the defense and the prosecution side of views or point of views, rather, you know, if I were the defense in a criminal trial, right, what I would harp on is truly this was a mistake. She thought she was using a taser and I'd, I'd beat that to death. However, if you were, rep- if, were if you were representing, if you were representing Potter, the right, defense. If you were the defender, the defender. Yes, okay. correct. Correct. Okay. Yes. However, what the family should do, launch that civil suit because did a little bit more research on this. And I said, okay. And you said, don't settle. You said, you said, you said you don't want, correct. you don't want yes. the family of, uh, you don't want Wright's family to correct. settle, right? For like, like Brianna Taylor's family Take- did settle and. And George Floyd's yes, family did settle. You don't is, want that to is, happen here. What is the quote? Exactly. What is the quote? Um, you know, in, or justice dies behind closed doors, right? So launch a civil trial, but do not settle. Allow that to go all the way to the jury. You know, don't settle the case. And what I would like to see is the the, the lawyer for the family or the plaintiff to bring up the following, right? Let's just say that we we take Kim Potter's excuse as, oh, I meant to use a taser, right? right, right. That's the universe that she wants to create. That's her story. What I found was that um, Taser International, they are the main factors of the tasers that pretty much a majority of law enforcement in America utilizes. I think you can go to taser.com and see the exact model that they have issued to that particular p- police department. The manufacturer's warning on a taser, because it's just like any other tool, right? gives a very detailed um, description on how the taser should and should not be used and in what scenarios it should and should not be used. And I just want to very briefly um, read this to you. It, you know, it talks about blah, 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 don't use a taser because it causes strong muscle contractions. And, you know, it talks about the circumstances of why you'd never want to tase someone. And the circumstances may include, but are not limited to, um, someone who is pregnant or a person on an elevated or unstable platform or operating a vehicle or machinery. Okay. Because knowingly it can cause um, bodily injury or death, right? So if we accept that she mistakenly thought she was using a taser, well, you weren't even using a taser under the right circumstances, right? And by being able to to use sort of a manufacturer's warning, you were negligent in a civil trial, to establish fault and guilt, we can bring that in, I believe, into a criminal trial to say, listen, even if you meant to use a taser, you were still wrong. Because you can you use see? you can use information from a civil trial in a criminal trial. Is that allowed? Or I'm gonna say generally, however, <laughs> there in evidentiary hearings, there are so many rules on that. But yes, and I say that yes with the air quotes and italics. Fellow lawyers know exactly why I'm, you know, putting it that way. But you want to establish on the record um, why even her mistake was wrong. And I, and I think truly that is a strategy that the lawyers for the plaintiffs should try to, to uh, utilize. So it's interesting because you texted, we, we had that conversation a few days ago, and then you texted me before charges against Kim Potter were even announced for yes. second degree manslaughter. You actually sent me that text, oh, I found right. a way that I think that the that the uh, yes. prosecution can prove their case yes. against her 
on behalf of, you know, Dante Wright. So do you, yep. is this the, is this the way that you recommend? Is this what you're saying or is this, this a strategy? is the way I think okay. this, yeah, I think this is the way I think in a civil trial establishing that she was negligent. She didn't follow the manufacturers, you know, warnings, which of course the manufacturers, or I'm sorry, law enforcement, um, implements all of those rules within their guidelines, right? And, and their training on how to use a taser or when to use a taser. And so it's, it's one of those things where, you know, look, Kim, even if you thought you should have used a taser on him, the circumstances did not present themselves in one which you should have used. And we saw that on camera, right? Right. The moment she struck him, I'll just say struck him with the bullet, right? But the moment she struck him, his foot was on the gas and he charged forward and got into a car crash, right? Right. That is the same type of harm that is contemplated by the very label that I, you know, uh, wording that I just read to you. So she was still in the wrong, even if she had to use a taser. And I think being able to establish that outside of the criminal world makes for a better case for the prosecution in the criminal proceedings. I okay, so here too, here too is a thing that everyone is talking about too, in terms of the differences, like the obvious, obvious differences between a taser and a firearm, right? Usually, like you said, right. you, you found the taser that is standard across many law enforcement, you know, departments. Um, usually, as far as the gun goes, they use Glock 17s in most law enforcement departments. And what we found is that generally they have the taser on their non-dominant side and their Glock on their right, dominant right. side. So that's one thing too. Dominant side. The, this, the second piece is that the taser is right is bright yellow most of the time and, and much lighter than a Glock 17. So yeah. how could she make that, you know, make that mistake? Don't you think that should be brought up at some point in the prosecution or you think it's kind of weak still to bring that up? No, absolutely. I, I think the the challenge of these type of cases is the prosecution getting sucked into the wrong argument, meaning the prosecution can't get sucked into trying to prove whether or not she made a mistake because we're not in her head. That is too intrinsic to prove, right? Got it. The prosecution has to prove whether or not her mistake was reasonable. And to your very point, you know, we are, we all saw the video footage, unfortunately, and I counted five seconds, right? That I could see her hand holding the gun before she shot him. And so I think the question is, is five seconds enough after yelling taser, taser, taser for one to realize, oh, I'm not actually holding a taser. This is not bright yellow. It's black. It's probably my gun. Right. right. And I think that's what the prosecution is going to have to harp on instead of what she meant, because we won't know that. We'll never know that, you know. OK, now, so kind of moving on from the case of Kim, Kim Potter and, you know, Dante Wright, um, in terms of, you actually warned me a few days ago because you're a Chicago resident and you warned me a few days ago that this that this video was coming out about a 13-year-old young man on the west side of Chicago who was killed by police. His name is Adam Toledo, uh, a Latino young man, Latino American, I believe. And he, um, and actually when the video came out, I think the prosecutors there in Cook County said, oh, well, he was holding a firearm when when the police shot him. And then when we look at the actual video, now we see that his hands were in the air and he was not holding a firearm. And the prosecutor in Cook County or whoever it was, was like, oh, my bad, I made a mistake. So what's the deal here? Like, should that prosecutor, how, what kind of yeah, professionalism so is I that? Yeah, so I will just get... 
Yeah. Right, right. Um, so a couple things, and you, I love you dearly, but I love and respect um, my fellow citizens here in Chicago. And I just want to make sure that we are clear. Um, the neighborhood that this occurred in was in, in <clears throat> excuse me, Little Village, right? Okay. And I think that's important because Little Village is very unique. It's predominantly Latinx. And unfortunately, it is one of the neighborhoods, that in Pilsen, I believe, that are um, heavily stricken with gang activity, right? Okay. And so I'll just say right now, Little Village is hurting, okay? okay. And I think out of respect, because I, I am connected to people who are connected to, if you will, the um, state's attorney's office of Cook County, out of respect for that office, I will just say, as a fellow attorney, we have a higher standard, right? And what we have to realize is that any time that we get on air and we try to, um, you know, cascade information for non-lawyers or just the regular citizenry, we have to be very careful not to draw conclusions and not to try to propagandize what we're saying without proper facts that have been established by someone else other than us. And I think what has happened here is that that wasn't done. And how the facts were described to the public by one of the attorneys within the state's attorney's office. I want to make that very clear. This was not the head person in charge. Um, you know, it, it wasn't the, it just, I, I think it fell below the standard that we attorneys all have, which is to be very careful with our words and to speak factually. Now, do I think, and I've seen on Twitter, people are like, oh, he should never practice law again. He should be right, suspended. Right. You know, that's for the ARDC, honestly. That is for the ARDC and whatever other committee. A ARDC to, is, what is that um, again? His, Tell us what I'm ARDC is. I'm sorry, attorney, <laughs> attorney. Yeah, in, in Illinois, every attorney um, is bound by the rules of the attorney disciplinary um, you know what, girl? I actually don't think I remember what all the word letters mean in ARDC. Disciplinary committee Attorney or disciplinary something? registration committee. Oh, yeah. okay. See, okay. I, I just pay my money and leave them alone. See, I don't okay. need to know. So right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it's attorney disciplinary registration committee, right? Um, and so I think whatever standard or oath he's taken, you know, whether those committees or bodies feel like they need to sanction or suspend him, that's for them, Right. I would never, right. ever just outright say, oh, he had a moment. He should lose his bar license, especially given how hard we work for this. Right. Um, but I think it was very negligent and reckless to opine on facts before this video was released in this way. Because the moment that this very graphic footage was put in the hands of the public, um, you know, it's almost like giving them a live grenade to pick apart. They don't know what they're doing with it. Um, and they're not viewing it through the same lens as a lawyer. And so for him to describe, I believe the statement was that Adam Toledo was um, shot because he you know, was carrying a gun or he was carrying the gun and then he was shot. And one could view this video and say, actually, no, he had just dropped the gun or he had just thrown the gun and his hands were up. Right. And it was a split second. Literally, when you look at the video, you count one second and this happens, right? Or he was shot and killed, rather. And so I think um, those in law enforcement, those in authority, our elected officials and those that work in their office, we all ha they all have a greater sense of responsibility to the public. And I think that wasn't done or, or you know, that they didn't handle that uh, explanation with care in the way that I would have probably tried to do. Okay, so here's one of my issues that I have, and you actually, I think maybe 
corrected me or gave me some information to this, but with the city of Chicago and the state of Illinois and Cook County, whoever the prosecutors are, right, I found the problem to be, one problem to be that they released this video footage so long after the actual, you know, incident takes place. So like this killing happened on March 29th and they're releasing this over two weeks later on March, or on uh, April 15th, today's April 15th. By the time you all hear this, it'll be April 16th. But um, but you're saying under Lori Lightfoot, that's actually a shorter duration because under Rahm Emanuel, it was a much longer duration for video, for body cam footage to be released. But I still feel like two weeks. Why is it released two weeks later? That seems like a little bit of a delay, an unnecessary delay, right? What is that about? Right, well... <laughs> So here's what I will say. One, I am glad that I hadn't quite settled myself as a Chicago resident under Rahm's full administration because, you know, when I moved here, this was right before the Laquan McDonald uh, video footage was released. And from my understanding and very limited research, because I think it was just all an emotional mess, you know, that administration and perhaps the one before it, right? I, I don't know, but it didn't seem like there was... Um, an interest uh, or a public interest um, in transparency set mm. by the mayor's office. Um, and, you know, I think we also saw that with a young woman whose home was raided and she wasn't handled properly, she was naked, they didn't allow her to get, you know, dressed and whatnot. And I believe when she launched suit, that because that happened under uh, the previous mayor, when she launched suit, I believe they immediately tried to put a temporary restraining order on her getting the um, body cam footage, right? Okay. And unfortunately, that carried itself all the way through to the Lightfoot administration, right? Just timing okay. and court and whatever, right? And unfortunately, it sounds like the um, the law office of Chicago, they were still kind of two-stepping that case under the old ROM way. And they were trying their best to still prevent her from getting the tape because that was what was in accordance with all of um, the court orders and whatnot around the tape, right? And I think the problem was, hey, Lori, this is one that slipped through the cracks, right? You claim that, you know, transparency and trust and all these things are important to you, but what about this one? And, and, and I will just say, factually, this is something that Lori changed when she first came into the office. And unfortunately, Yes, this that particular case with the young woman whose house was raided. I, I do think that is one that stayed on the books, slipped through the cracks. And unfortunately, um, you know, the city got into a fisticuff battle of trying to keep the tape from being released when they should have just let it go. You never, ever, ever want to get into that type of battle with suppressing someone's First Amendment rights. And that's essentially what it came down to. Right. No, But here's the deal. So now, now, it, seems like, it seems like Chicagoans are very disenchanted with Lori Lightfoot, even especially those who are more progressive and want to see more, you know, so more uh, on air on the side of civil rights and civil liberties and social justice and criminal right. justice. Like people seem to be very right. upset with uh, with Lori Lightfoot because they, they don't see the changes that they feel were promised. You know, right. and they feel like she's in cahoots again with the Chicago PD. How, right. And so I don't yeah. necessarily need you to comment on that per se, but I'm just saying there seems sure. like there's some disenchantment with her that's reminiscent of the Rahm Emanuel yeah. administration, right? And that's there, that's out there. Yeah, right? I mean, absolutely. The gears of justice are very slow, right? And thank you for not <laughs> yes. putting me in a position. Yeah, to don't, com don't comment on that. that but um, just putting that out there. Yeah, you know? but I, I will say in the current 
um, the current case of the, of the, I will say, killing of Adam Toledo, you know, I, and, and forgive me, I don't know what the um, timeline requirement has is that's been set by COPA or anyone else for releasing these type of footages. But one thing I just, you know, I really want the congregation and everyone to understand is that you got to give time people to react to things. And I'm not saying give the police time to get their story together, but you have Cause, to cause give that's what it's giving. It's giving that they're trying that is what to, it's and they're it's trying to get real, cover. I got something to high tease. Yes. They're trying to cover yes. for that. Police are trying to let her move out of her house or him yes. move out of his house and, and get out of Illinois or get out of Chicago. And before the, the footage yeah, is released, no, that's no, what it no. seems like they're trying so, to do every time it does. It, it does. However, you know, if anyone, um, and again, I don't, support going and watching it because it is very graphic. It's very heartbreaking. But if anyone that has gone to the COPA website, um, they have posted all of the video footage that they have, right? And keep in mind, this is not just the body cam of the officer. It's the body cam of the officer, his partner, any other responding officers. And then they needed time to get footage from the other buildings, yes, other homes, and it. other you know areas around, right? Give people time to get subpoenas for that. Give people time to canvas the neighborhood to figure out what do we have. Give people time to make sure the tapes have not been altered, right? And here, two weeks, I'm impressed. Okay. Right. Because, okay. you know, I, I think I, I and I'm not going to put a, a time limit to say it should take a week or take what ha whatever, but you got to give people time to get the facts, right? What is the truth? And I believe there's over 10 to 15 documents, videos, perspectives posted for the public to watch. And I think that's important when we talk about transparency and trust, because you have to give people time to get the facts, get the information out there that they claim they're going to make available to the public, and then also figure out, did we initially respond correctly, right? And, and I would honestly say, I read the police report. No, you didn't. Because the, the, the way that the police report is filled out, that is not consistent with the video that I saw from the angle that I saw it. And I think um, Lori and her... Um, press release, or I'm sorry, her um, news conference earlier, the language that she used supports what I just said, as well as what we're seeing in the headlines in the media supports that as well, right? So you got to give people time to gather the facts, figure out what is the truth, what are the various perspectives that we, we have available, and then answer the question, did we tell the truth? Did we jump to conclusions? And have we responded the way we need to? Well, yeah, that's that's really good information because you're right they have to get all that that footage from you know cctv from closed circuit cameras that are in the area security cameras so that that's right. that's definitely a good right. point last but uh this is my last question because i know if we go too long miss malachi is going to kill me i she's know got, she's got to edit this um <laughs> i'm sorry but, Ms. malachi um but you know one thing and i want to just say why why i say say all these killings you know allude back to the devastation of Aaliyah is because I feel like I'm so connected or so emotionally involved in the murders or the, the deaths of these people that I don't actually right. know, right? As opposed to like a death of a family member or a friend where you actually know them. It's like, you know, with Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and right. Dante Wright, it's like, it's almost like it reminds me of like when Aaliyah died, even though I didn't know her personally, you know, it kind of felt like extended family dying, right? And, um, but this last right, question- right is about the Derek Chauvin trial in Minnesota, going back to Minnesota and um, with the judge today threatening to declare a mistrial if certain evidence from the prosecution was released 
countering the carbon monoxide, uh, the carbon monoxide poisoning defense of the defense, right? right. And there were they, and the, right. and the prosecution right. had some evidence to counter that, some physical uh, or scientific evidence. And the judge says, if you bring that up, I'm going to declare a mistrial. Now, why yeah. did that happen? Why seems like, is the judge on the side yeah. of Derek Chauvin or what? No, is that no. not the case? So, no. Miss Malachi, don't hate me for being long-winded, but I just think it's important to, you know, lay a foundation of understanding. So one, um, and I'll give an example, right? Remember, <laughs> I've been claiming that I think I had COVID back in fall of 2018, right? And you, you tell me what you tell me about that every time I bring that up. And it's one of those things where the only way to prove that is to go back to my doctors and say, hey, remember, remember those blood samples I gave you? I know that you tested me for 80 different things. However, I now need you to go back and test me for COVID as we now know it, right? This is somewhat similar, meaning um, at the time of George Floyd's death, you know, there were blood gas samples taken. The ME did all the things that a medical examiner does, right? And it does not sound like carbon monoxide poisoning was one of the tests that was run. Okay. okay. The issue is that when we get into um, expert witness testimony, you know, all courts in some way, shape or fashion adopt rules of evidence. There's federal rules. And then, you know, the courts kind of either adopt in whole part or what have you. And when et expert witness testimony is on the table, um, it's important that the trial judge establish uh, through a Daubert standard, as we call it, that that ep expert witness's testimony is reputable and relevant, right? And even if the testimony is relevant, in this case, it is relevant, right? Because we need to prove, you know, did he have carbon monoxide poisoning in his blood or not? Um, there's because let, let's just say, let's just say that the defense is trying to say with one of their so-called expert witnesses that, oh, it's possible that George right. Floyd inhaled from the exhaust yes. of, the, of the car that you know of the police car that yes. he was kneel that he was you know face down next to that he inhaled carbon monoxide from the exhaust and died from that that's right. one possible theory which is right? what what their expert did yeah which is i believe it's um uh, the expert for the defense was dr fowler right he's a former emmy himself and i believe what dr fowler said is that it's possible however he was specifically asked well do you have facts that support that and his answer was no i don't think that blood gas sample or test, excuse me, was run for carbon monoxide poisoning. And at the time, to his knowledge, his testimony was factual. And the problem is um, the, the rules of evidence also say that the testimony of an expert witness has to be based on sufficient facts or data, right? I think that's 702B. And within that, if an expert testifies in a way that isn't factual, based on the facts that we have and evidence that's been presented and admissible, well, you can't let that in. And then the trial judge will exclude that evidence under 403, um, which essentially just says, hey, if the evidence is prejudice, meaning, or I'm sorry, is um, going to prejudice the other side, usually the defense, if you will, um, we can't let it in because its probative value is subst it's substantially outweighed by unfair prejudice, confusing the issues, misleading the jury, et cetera. And if you notice, this is what... The prosecution asked Dr. Fowler, right, to your knowledge, are you misleading the jury, to your knowledge, blah, blah, blah. And so now the but, prosecution well, what's not, is going what, back and they're trying to test that sample. Right, right. Okay, go ahead. That's new facts, new data. Yeah, yeah. So now that the prosecution is trying to go back and test that sample now, that's new facts and new data when they should have tested that the moment that they knew the defense would bring that up, which was months ago. 
right? Oh. And so, so it's, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, no, it's like malpractice on the part of the prosecution not to test. I mean, I, I, I shouldn't go as far as saying malpractice, but it's, it's kind of yeah. like on, on the part of the prosecution not to test. That, I will that probably say it was not smart right they should have tested I, that a while ago and again so that like, it could be included in discovery and exactly 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 yeah well and and i think you know there's been claims made that the prosecution asked for this and it wasn't made available i mean like who knows right but to your point this is something that the moment the prosecution knew the defense would bring this up as a defense yeah you'd want to make sure okay well we have these samples have they been tested right? That's a open and shut. And if they've been tested, great. What are the test results? Let's put that on the table. Both party gets that. So then you don't have expert witnesses going on the stand perjuring themselves because we now have the facts. We now have the evidence of whether or not there was carbon monoxide poisoning in his blood. Because what we're hearing is that the prosecution just tested the sample, but it was ready at like 5 p.m. yesterday. And that's not enough time for the defense Exactly. For discovery and for the defense to recalibrate their case. Correct. And their witness based on that information. Because exactly, because also that uh, the test results, I believe, were going to be used to impeach the expert witness testimony of the defendant. right? Right. And now that that expert is no longer available, I mean, he's left town, he's given his testimony, he's gone. You can't do that in that way. Right. Um, and, and again, you know, I use the example about me and this COVID thing at the end of the day, this is something that you're almost asking for one party to have a crystal ball at the time that everything. Girl, you didn't have no COVID in no 2018. You didn't have no COVID in no 2018. Listen, come on. If anything, I need them to test my blood. If anything, if anything, I believe more your mom. (laughs) Your mom, who's a show listener too, who says she had it in, in fall 2019. And I believe, you know, I believe listen, her. I listen. believe her more so. But girl, I don't know about that 2018 girl. You had some. You had some kind of unknown <laughs> something, but it was not COVID, girl. I promise you. I, promise I think you. I had it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, girl. Well, okay. Well, let's let's wrap it up. I really appreciate it because you gave our listeners. The congregation, thank as you, you call them, some really great information. Yes. And um, no, thank you so much, Miss Deborah, for having me on. And thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. And let's wrap this up before Miss Malachi, you know, has a, hissy, a little hissy. I know. Fit. She blocked but, um, me. <laughs> yeah, girl. Well, thank you so much. And we look forward to talking to you again, either on another download with Devereaux or on the main show, Two Save Queens. Thank you, Lawyer Keisha. Thank you, Miss Keisha. Thank you. Bye, Bye. everyone. Bye.